0: started tonight. How's everybody doing? Hey, let's go ahead and stand as we open up in prayer tonight. What a beautiful day. I like days like that. Well, the wind was still a little bit high, but you know, it could be perfect. And we'd still find something to fuss about, right? <laughs> How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. We're glad that you're with us online tonight. And if you'll comment, if you have a need tonight, we want to pray. We have several that are going in for procedures over the next, uh, Few days, and so we just want to lift them up in prayer. Uh, again, continue to to uh, minister to those that uh, have need. We want to lift them up in prayer and uh, thank the Lord that He's faithful. Uh, and let's just pray over the last two weeks. We have had some really incredible services, and and uh, let's just pray that uh, you know God got a real nice email um, yesterday from one of our guests that was here on Sunday and. Uh, just talked about how they wept through the entire service. That it just ministered to them such a such an incredible way. And let's just pray that God, those seeds that were planted, would develop and produce uh, a harvest, a fruit. Um, and and that's always so important. So all of the guests that we've had over the last couple of weeks, let's just pray uh, for them and and those who responded to the altar for them as well. Uh, let's just pray together. Father, we love you tonight. And again, thank you so much. Uh, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we have tonight to be able to come together and to study your word. Lord, again, I want to thank you for the technology that enables us to uh, be here, but yet also broadcast in other uh, communities and even different states and and ultimately even in different parts of the world. I thank you that the gospel can go forth. And uh, Lord, we we thank you for that privilege. And I just pray tonight that, uh, uh, Lord, as we Rejoice over uh, just the celebration of Easter, uh, Lord, just what that meant and and Lord, the impact that it had on people's lives Lord, I pray that uh, again those who responded, Lord, in some form or fashion, I pray God that that would not just be a a momentary decision, but it would be a life altering decision that would carry them from uh, from that day forward Lord, I pray for the hands that went up in the building tonight that signified a need in our life tonight. God, I thank you that you're a healer. Uh, Lord, for those that are facing procedures tonight, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, just be with them, and Lord, that you would guide whatever that process is. Lord, we thank you that you can restore and renew, and we ask you to do that tonight. For those that are discouraged tonight, I ask you to encourage them. Father, I pray for those that uh, just need a, a blessing tonight. Lord, I pray you would extend that hand, and God, that you would touch us. Thank you to be able to come into your presence and uh, Lord, just study your word. I pray for all the ministries that are taking place, uh, again, across the campus tonight. May you be lifted up and glorified in all things. I pray, Fathers, we uh, teach tonight that you would open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us, and we pray, Lord, if you should tarry until Sunday, uh, Lord, for those that are being baptized and for the uh, the bottles, bibs, and more giveaway that we've got going on, Lord, I just pray all of these things would, uh, Lord, just serve as a reminder that, Lord, you're, you're sovereign and you're working, you work through others, you work through people. Uh, to accomplish your plans and your purposes, and we ask that you would be glorified in those events. Be with us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. And we all said, "Amen, Amen." God bless you. you may be seated. Um, go ahead and turn away with, with me. I can't talk tonight. Uh, too many jelly beans. My mouth is. Uh, yeah, I have a I have a weakness for jelly beans. So please don't bring me jelly beans. <laughs> you know they say lays potato chips. You can't eat just one. It's the same thing with jelly beans its it's a sin what I do with jelly beans second <laughs> um, Corinthians chapter two, while you turn there, a couple of announcements um if again Sunday's going to be the day uh, we're having a baptism Sunday, and uh if you know someone needs to be baptized, please let us know we have i think eleven or twelve that will be baptized on Sunday morning, so we're excited about that also Sunday is our uh bottles, bibs, and more that's the something I've been talking about for a few weeks now uh we have uh, so so in order to get ready for that, uh, we're going to meet up here Friday morning at 10 a.m. So if you have some time, uh, we need to get the crates of, uh, basically it's two crates. They're It's a, two pallets. They're palletized. It's just two pallets of, of boxes that are about that big, that's stuffed full of bottles, bibs, and more. <laughs> All kinds, of, about $20,000 worth of product. And so we're going to, uh, right now they're in the garage at the house. And so we're going to pull those over here with the pallet jack, park them right out here, and then we're going to get that transported inside and set up on the tables. Uh, We're going to do that on Friday morning so that uh, come Sunday, right after the morning service, we're going to be able to, again, this is for new moms, expecting moms and recent moms, we're going to let our guests go into the Family Life Center and shop, uh, pick out items that they need uh, for their family. So uh, if you know someone that's pregnant, uh, or someone, a recent mom, uh, this would be for them. It's There are going to be things in there, like there's sensory toys, there's bottles. Uh, it's kind of funny because my little granddaughter, Emmy, the youngest one, uh, she when I say bottles, she'll go bibs and more. <laughs> She's just kind of automatic. Uh, but there's uh, sensory toys in there, there's, there's, again, bottles, there's nursing supplies, nursing products in there for nursing mothers. So uh, I have no idea what all is in there, however, because when you open it up, it's just... It's all in that box, and, and it's piled up. It's about this deep. So uh, we could use that help on, on, uh, on Friday morning. Again, 10 a.m., we'll meet out here, and we'll get it all in and set up probably a couple of hours. Uh, and then also one last thing I want to just announce is uh, we do have a men's. I, I didn't get to announce it Sunday. I, I think words kind of circulated, but we do have a men's fishing trip, uh, men's fishing trip on May the 6th. Uh, Over at Cedar Creek Lake, uh, it's $100 uh, plus we'll stop for lunch. So for lunch, it'll be lunch money. I feel like a school teacher. Bring your lunch money. Uh, So so we'll be going to Cedar Creek Lake. We've got three boats. And uh, that means we have to leave here at 4 a.m. I know. I only get up at 4 o'clock for fish. After, Other than that, I'm just not getting up, uh, but anyway, so there's a sign-up, we only have four spots left, there's only four spots left, you do need a valid fishing license, uh, but uh, again, if you want to go, please sign up, and uh, we'll go have a good time, we always have a good time over there, and they do a good job putting us on the fish. Uh, so let's get right into our teaching tonight, we're, we're studying through second, yes ma'am, Okay. I I may call you. If I don't get the biggest one, I'm gonna call you. In case, in case you've not been around when we've done our fishing trips, I always get the biggest fish. I've got stories to tell. Anyway. So so we're talking about strength and weakness. We're studying actually through Second Corinthians. This is Paul, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. And so tonight we're gonna be talking, as you can see on the screen, we're gonna be talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness, how many know that's a tough thing to talk about? It's an awful difficult thing to do. Um, And so let's uh, begin in verse number 5. We're just going to read 5 through 11. Again, Paul writing to them says, But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to remain, uh, to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Again, we, we're doing a verse-by-verse study on Second Corinthians. And and so last week, uh, if you remember, we talked about assumptions. We, we We discussed assumptions and how easy it is for us to read between the lines and to insert things that are really are not based in reality but our perception of things how many's ever heard the statement one's perception is the reality uh and and a lot of times we we hear and and I, i somebody said something interesting the other day is that most people today they don't listen to understand they listen to respond and when you listen to respond then the danger is you make assumptions because you're, try- you're trying to make an, a response to what someone is saying, and so your brain is working to formulate your response, and that's when we start assuming things. You know, we, we assume things, we assign values to things that are not necessarily there, not based in reality. And, and, and so for the assumptions, the Corinthian church, as we talked about last week, there was a faction in the Corinthian church that kind of got bent out of shape because Paul, again, of all things, I mean, you think about things to get mad about. Here's, again, if you remember, they got mad because Paul changed his travel plans a couple of times, and and because he changed he changed his travel plans, there was a faction in the Corinthian church that got ticked off at him and started spreading this rumor around about him, questioning his apostleship, question his authority, question his teaching. Uh, basically, they. Um, because Paul changed his travel plans, they assumed that he was not trustworthy, nor was he credible, and so that created a schism in the Corinthian church. And so Paul dealt with that. We talked about it last week, and 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 again, evidently from the context, evidently Paul wasn't the only one that experienced such an attitude from the church. Uh, you know, and, and here's the thing: if you've lived more than a week, okay, then you've probably learned by now that that forgiveness is part of living in a fallen world. Learning to forgive is something that we must master in a fallen world because sooner or later, if it hasn't happened to you now, and of course, I know I'm talking to our adult school of the Bible, so I know it's happened at least once or twice in your lifetime, probably more than that. Somebody's going to offend you, somebody's going to betray you, somebody's going to let you down, somebody's not going to do what they said they were going to do, or they're going to do what they said they wouldn't do. And again, on and on it goes. And so forgiveness is part and parcel to living in a fallen world, which by the way, we are. Everybody know that, right? We're living in a fallen world. A fallen world's been marred by sin. And so we have these attitudes. We We have all of this stuff going on. And so again, forgiveness is part of living in a fallen world. But see, we have to learn to forgive. Otherwise, we're never going to move forward in life. We're never going to move forward. We're never going to tap into the abundant life that Jesus said we can have if we don't learn how to forgive. So, so here's what unforgiveness does. Refusing to forgive someone binds us to the past, okay? It tethers us to the past, and it prevents us from uh, the great adventure that awaits us in the present and in the future. So how many people do they walk around tethered to hurts from the past? How many people walk around tethered to the disappointments or the betrayals of the past? And, and oftentimes, you know, you, you've always heard the, that little saying that uh, unforgiveness is like, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You know, when you harbor that in your heart, it, the other person probably doesn't even care. But yet it affects you, and tremendously does it affect you. So again, refusing to forgive binds us to the past, and it prevents us from the great adventures that await us right now and in the future. So, so in, in life, we learn two basic truths. Number one is that we always need forgiving, okay? We need forgiving because we dropped the ball, we missed the mark. So we're always needing forgiven. And the second thing is this, and we always need to forgive others, that's two things of life that we have to learn is that I'm always in need of someone extending forgiveness to me for some boneheaded thing I did or didn't do or whatever, being human, or I'm always needing to forgive someone. That's two essentials of life right there. So this is kind of where our text comes in tonight. So what in our text, what I read to you, Paul challenges the Corinthians at, at Corinth to reach out and forgive a man in the congregation who had sinned. Now, now here's the thing. We're not told what he did. You know, we're not told what this man did, but apparently there was a guy in this church that, uh, back when they used to practice church discipline, there was a guy in the church who uh, sinned, and, and it must have been bad. Um, you know, many commentators think that Paul, in this particular instance, is referring back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, of the young man, I uh, can't even talk. Remember the story of the young man that was sleeping with his father's wife or his stepmother. A lot of commentators think that's what who Paul's referring to is the guy in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, you know, and 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 part of that, if you know the story, uh, in in his first letter, the the bad part of that was the church was tolerating it. In, in fact, uh, Paul said they were uh, glorying in their grace to allow the man to continue to. Engage in that type of uh, a sinful activity, and yet still be part of the church. So Paul writes to them in First Corinthians, and he says, "Hey, you know what? You need to come together as a congregation. You need to put that fellow out. You need to. Can you imagine a church doing that today in today's society? Can you imagine the buzz on social media if somebody were to apply? I, I, I know I'm. I'm kind of being a little facetious, but can you imagine the upheaval in today's world if if a church went to someone that was openly practicing? Uh, sin and said, "Hey, look, you, you're going to have to knock that out, or you can't." I mean, can you imagine that? So, so Paul said, "Look, you got to come together as a church, and you need to tell that man that you need to put him out. You need to put him out and cut him off from Christian fellowship, so that there's a por- there's a purpose to it, so that he would eventually come to repentance." Now, if that's the if that's the man that is in view in our text here. Uh, then the excommunication worked because obviously from the writing here, uh, the man repented and he wanted back in the church. But now the church has gone the other direction, okay? And the congregation now refuses to let him back in. That could be the background. But then there are other commentators that say that the man in question is not the one from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, but rather it's the man in the current letter who has taken issue with the apostle Paul and uh, his claiming that he wasn't a real apostle. So he brought division in the church. And, and so there are a lot of scholars that believe that one. I think either scenario doesn't really matter. The principle is still the same to what he's saying. You know, Paul had written uh, the church telling them to put that man out, and they had done so. And, and, and evidently he had come to his senses and he had repented, and now he's wanting to get back in. So, so Paul writes to them, and he, and he, he says, this troublemaker suffered enough. You're, the discipline worked. It worked the way God said it would work. So he suffered enough. They needed to forgive him so that he would not be, in the context of what he said, he would not be utterly heartbroken. He would not utterly be heartbroken. It, and again, it doesn't matter if either one of those scenarios are correct. The teaching's the same. The forgiveness is part of our lot in life. Uh, you know, there are times, listen, there are times when we have to take action on people who are blatantly, who, who are blatant sinners? I mean, there, there has to be. How many of you have ever corrected your children when they were growing up? Why did you do that? You did it out of love and out of necessity. And, and, and again, the church has gotten away from it because we become more, more concerned about behinds in the chairs than we are about someone living uh, in, in, a, in communion with the Heavenly Father. And, and so, we don't talk about that stuff anymore. Um, but there are times when the church must take action to someone who lives and demonstrates blatant sinful behavior. But here's the thing, but we also must be willing to forgive later on. When there is a response to, ju- uh, to, to discipline, there needs to be forgiveness later on, and it's a hard assignment. And that's why we, we have to have the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to do it. Church discipline is something that requires tough love, but it also requires great forgiveness. It requires great forgiveness. It's t- I tell everybody, being a Christian is not for the faint of heart. It's not for weaklings, because it takes a person of strong character to be able to live the Christian way. Because it calls us to do things, it calls upon us to do things that are not natural. My natural inclination is not to forgive somebody that harms me. My my actual inclination is to hurt them back but that's not what I'm called to do again so so we're never and here's the thing we're never more like Christ than when we forgive those who have sinned against us so I want to give you I want to give you five benefits of forgiveness tonight the first one is this forgiveness displays God's mercy forgiveness displays God's mercy paul begins by telling them that they had done what they had done the discipline that they had taken on for this individual, was was, was enough. it was enough. As far as he, he was concerned, the discipline was appropriate. Uh, the response was what they were looking for. Uh, by putting this man, this offending man outside the church, they had uh, acted in a righteous manner. But here's their dilemma. What do you do next? What do you do next? How, I mean, how do you know? I, I think from the, from the practical side of it, how do you know when enough is enough? Parents struggle parents struggle with this, right? Parents struggle with this when they discipline a misbehaving child. How much is enough? And how much is too uh, too much? Proverbs 27, 6 tells us this, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You know, it doesn't come across very well in our world today because we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be told that we're wrong. And, and let something like that happens in today's culture, and it will be blasted all over social media, and, and, and people will try to, you know, they'll dox you. They'll malign you. They'll, it, it, that's just where we are in our culture today. See, when discipline is done today, many view that as a sign of aggression or maybe a feeling of superiority. Well, who do you think you are to tell me what's right and what's wrong? Right? Am I, am I telling the truth? I mean, think about it. You know, my, my daughter teaches, well, my son-in-law and daughter both teach, and she, she'll come home and tell me stories in kindergarten. Some of these kids, and I'm like, you're kidding me. Some of the things that they pull in kindergarten. I mean, these kids. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I would have never made first grade. You know, if I pulled some of the stunts that these kids do, uh, it's just—it's confounding to me. You know, we don't discipline. You know, how many's ever heard? How many's ever said, or maybe heard this say, "Well, this hurts me more than it hurts you." I never did believe that. <laughs> and here's the tough part: How do you know when enough punishment is enough? When it's sufficient? I, and again I understand it's tricky because every one of us you know I I only have two children I have a son and a daughter and both of them they were different what works on one seldom ever worked on the other one right i mean have y'all had the same experience i mean uh, you know i've heard parents say and it's usually referring to boys nothing i do ever works no matter how hard i try they never they never listen or they never get it you know and then and then then you have the other one and, and it's usually the girls all I had to do was look at her, and she melted, you know, and that's, that's kind of the way it was. So dealing with these matters, again, takes courage, it takes grace, and it takes wisdom. Again, yeah, we have to understand that when it comes down to church, this one, we're dealing with an eternal soul, and you can't be flipping about it. I, again, I have may comment, I've heard pastors that have, that have kind of braggadociously talked about having to get in somebody's face. And it broke my heart, and I thought, wait a minute, you're, 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 you're talking about an eternal soul. And, and that's not a jovial thing. I mean, when it comes down to church discipline, yes, we have a standard to uphold and a righteousness to, uh, to, to enforce, but it should never be done with a gleeful attitude like you're, you know, you're all that in a bag of chips. It should be done in a sorrowful fashion. See, Paul wants the Corinthians to know, and again, this is what he talks about. He's, he wants them to know that, hey, what you've done worked. You heeded my words. You put that fellow out. He repented. But now it's time to welcome him back. It's time to welcome him back. It's time for him to come. You need to forgive him and receive this man back into fellowship. I love what David said in Psalm 103, verse 8 and 9. He said, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Isn't that a great picture of God? Sometimes we mistakenly think that if we forgive, that we're kind of going soft on sin. You know, and so today, there are taboo subjects that you don't hear a lot of pre- preachers talking about because we think if we some, uh, again, we don't want to be offensive. So rather than be offensive, we don't even say anything. And I think that's wrong. I, I, I do. I think it's absolutely wrong. But but again, sometimes we think if we if, if uh, we forgive, we're kind of letting somebody off the hook. But you ever thought about this? If God treated, What if God treated us the same way that we treated some others? We'd never be forgiven. We, we would never be forgiven at all. I mean, listen, have you ever met anybody love to argue? I mean, they just, they just love to argue. You know, there, there, there are some people that enjoy keeping a quarrel going because they're so angry. Well, God's not like that. God is not like that. He's willing to end the quarrel and welcome us back home. And that's what Paul saying. This is what you need to do. You heeded my word. You put the man out. You disciplined him because what he was doing was not right. But now he's repented. You need to forgive and let him come home. Sometimes the real problem is we, <laughs> we like to keep fighting. You know, that leads to the second benefit, and that is forgiveness restores the sinner. Forgiveness restores the sinner. Sometimes I think the modern church acts a lot like the older brother in the prodigal son story. Everybody remember that, that guy? You know, forgiveness, I mean, you think about the, the, the mindset that the older son must have had. Forgiveness seems too cheap, too quick, and too easy. I mean, after all, think about it. We're the, we're the ones that play by the rules, right? We didn't ask for our inheritance early. We didn't waste it in a faraway country. We certainly didn't end up eating with the pigs. We're not the ones that had a bad marriage. Our kids didn't get hooked on drugs. We built our life around the church. We're good Bible-believing Christians who go to church. We have our quiet time. We give a tithe. We go on missions trips, and, and we pray every day, right? We're not like those other people. We're not like those other people. You know, I think if you ask a lot of churchgoers today, we're all in the we're all in favor of forgiveness on a theoretical basis. Oh, yeah, 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 forgiveness. But what about when it comes down to someone who, uh, that we know uh, that we thought we could trust or, and we couldn't, <laughs> or someone who hurt us or someone who intentionally maligned our character or someone who let us down or hurt someone that we love deeply? We're not very quick to forgive, right? Right? It's a whole different matter. Why should we want them back in the church? You know, and there are people that's like, well, they just deserve to get it then. So when you read the story of the prodigal son, think about it. We have to ask ourselves, who's worse off? Who's worse off? I mean, the one the son who left and returned? Or the son who never left but would not forgive his brother who did. Which one was worse off? In my estimation, it seems like in the end the older brother is worse off because he cannot bring himself to rejoice in his brother's return. And how many people today live with that heady mindset of arrogance? Well, I didn't do that. I didn't backslide. I didn't do this. And we somehow refuse to welcome Listen, if there's no hope for forgiveness for the worst of sinners, then the truth is there's no hope for all of us. There's no hope. True forgiveness restores the sinner. Look how Paul puts it in verse 7 and 8. He said, now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. One of the great among many that we've experienced here at Bethel down through the years i remember a situation i won't get too much into it cuz you'll probably know but we had a we had a pretty grievous situation one sunday morning actually one one sunday morning right before service that required calling of the police and i mean it was it was a difficult situation this individual was taken off And was gone for, needed help, needed help. Was gone for a period of time. And I do remember, I can still see it in my head, my mind, when they came back to church after months of being away, after what had happened, that ordeal that had happened on that Sunday morning before service. And I stood back and I watched as they walked into the door. And I saw people embrace, hug, We're so happy to see you. We're so glad that you're home. And I got an email later on that week and said, I was so scared to come back. I was so afraid of what people, the people would remember what I had done. People would remember the scene that I made. And yet when I walked in, she said, uh, uh, all of that just left. And I was embraced and I was welcomed. That's what Paul's saying right here. Reaffirm your love for him. Welcome him back in. Again, and and I love how when you read that, Paul intentionally omits the man's name. He doesn't say, okay, you'll tell John that it's time to come home. Or Frank or Peter. He doesn't say that. He intentionally leaves his name out of that. Paul wasn't trying to to bring more shame and humility, uh, excuse me, humiliation on this individual. Again, I think there's people today that take great joy in humiliating somebody calling them out. And they'll say, well, I got a scriptural right to call you out when you're wrong. You you get me on my soapbox there. I'm not going there. But but Paul didn't do that. I mean, and besides that, the Corinthians knew exactly who Paul was talking about. and, And really, that was all that mattered. Paul didn't need to let everybody know who that individual was. The Corinthian church knew exactly who Paul was talking about. So he didn't name him, did not put a name in there. See, our discipline and our forgiveness ought to be tempered by desire not to smear someone's reputation unnecessarily. You know, I love, I love the computer. I love the technology we have today. I love the, the the social media and the platforms that helps us to do a lot of things. But one of the things I detest about it is that people get on there all jacked up with anger and, and jealousy and whatever else you want to say, and they smear and they they... They talk about people. It's it's just it's just heart wrenching to see that kind of stuff. Paul said, "That's not listen. That's not what this is about. It's not what it's about. Listen. In this age of social media, it would be very tempting to humiliate an offending person. Paul demonstrates you don't do that. You don't you don't do that. Christian love shows restraint, and it doesn't intentionally humiliate others." You know, there's an old song. How many remember the old song it says they will know we are Christians by our, by our love? By our love, not by our social media posts. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Forgiveness is about restoring one, uh, a person, and reconciling with them. Forgiveness follows the path of mercy, not vengeance. The third benefit forgiveness demonstrates obedience. That's a new one it demonstrates obedience. Look how Paul puts in verse 10. He said, the reason I wrote you as was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. So, so in this case, forgiveness proves the genuineness of our Christian faith. I mean, do we love enough to forgive when discipline has led to repentance? Or for us, when someone hurts us, wrongs us, do we love enough where the Bible says love covers what? A multitude of sin. Do we love enough to look past the offense? Again, I think some, to me this is one of the most difficult things that we are called upon to do as Christians is to forgive because there's something inside of our system that in, in, it's an aid in us that demands justice. And we somehow feel like the wrongdoer has to pay. And if I f- extend forgiveness, that somehow they're getting away with it. That's how we oper- That's how our brains work. But what did Jesus say? Forgive, how? As you have been forgiven. Yeah, we we'll, we'll get there in a minute. Again, this is a very hard thing to do, especially to someone who. Has, has hurt us deeply or hurt someone that we love deeply. It's a, it would be a tough assignment. As, you know, I, I used to have a pretty short fuse when I first got married and, you know, kind of an angry individual. God took all of that away, but there's one thing that will get me hot in a hurry. Don't mess with my family. Don't mess with my family. <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know, that's, and for whatever it is, I'm just being very transparent. I just, you know, but, but if someone deeply hurt my family, I would be called upon to forgive. Yeah. Some of the most moving things I've ever seen in my life was to watch an episode of a, of a, a crime show or whatever, and I've, and, and, and I've seen videos of, of victims' parents sitting in a courtroom looking at the perpetrator, the assailant, and say, I don't know why you killed my son. I don't know why you rape my daughter, but I forgive you. And tears streamed down their face. Ooh. And I think, man, that's grace of God right there. That's the grace of God right there. See, it's, it's hard to do that. See, there has to be a point when we have to let go of the pain and reach out with the love of God and say, you're forgiven in Jesus' name. It's hard for us to do. But again, Jesus said to forgive as we've been forgiven. And, and the thing is, how have we been forgiven? He's placed no condition on us. He's placed no condition on us whatsoever uh, to receive his forgiveness, and neither should we place any condition on others receiving forgiveness. Again, so much of our world, everything is, is based on reciprocity. You do for me, I do for you. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Not so. He didn't put any of those conditions on us. For God so loved the world. And he gave his only son with no guarantee that any of us would ever accept it. But he did it anyway. The fourth thing that we find is forgiveness reflects the character of Christ. The character of Christ. Think about this. In verse 10, Paul uses the word forgive or forgiven five times. Five times. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him and what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. So so what is he saying? He said, look, we're all in this together. You, me, this man who sinned, I mean, all of us stand in desperate need of the grace of God. This man needs forgiveness, and they needed to forgive him. That's the bottom line. They needed to forgive him and to welcome him back in to the fellowship. I, I, I like this. I saw this little quote today. Someone said, that truth that the key to forgiveness is the middle syllable. Now you know forgiveness is a three syllable word, right? Forgiveness, and they said the key to it is the middle syllable, give. Forgiveness, forgiveness is what? It's a gift. It is a gift that we give those who do not deserve it. That's forgiveness. Someone. Uh, had messaged me this morning about a particular, they don't, they don't attend church here, just somebody that I've known. And they said, I, I, I respect your wisdom and I, expect, I respect your counsel. tell me, and laid out a scenario and said, uh, what do you, is, is this forgiveness? And I said, you know, based on the scenario, I said, you know what? I said, to me, forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is when I let someone off the hook and I don't bring it up every time I get in a disagreement with them. If I, get in, if, I, if I bring up the, the wound, the hurt, the offense, then that's a pretty good indicator that I've not forgiven, right? It's a pretty good indicator that it's still fresh on my mind. And I said, to me, that's a good indicator right there that if something is brought up on a repeated basis, that there's no forgiveness there. It, saying something with your mouth, might, you might say one thing with your mouth, but the actions dictate otherwise, right? Again, Forgiveness is a gift that we give those who do not deserve it. We don't, we don't forgive uh, uh, because of anything the person has done. Again, I've said this often. You may have to forgive people that never even ask you for it. Because forgiveness really isn't about them. It's about you. It's about getting the monkey off your back because that monkey will grow into an ape if you're not careful. So it's about, so, so you may have to extend forgiveness to people that will never ask you, that will never admit their wrongdoing. But if you ever want to move forward in life and tap into the abundant life and, and, and find that destiny, you've got to let go. Get that monkey off your back and just release them. See, repentance, you know, we somehow think that repentance means earned forgiveness. That's not it at all. God's grace is unmerited favor. When we've been deeply hurt, no amount of, again, and I really think no amount of repentance. If we've been deeply hurt, okay, I don't think any amount of repentance, no matter how genuine that it is, can actually earn forgiveness. It still has to be given away. If you've ever been deeply wounded by somebody, if, somebody if, if, that wound, if that offending party comes up to you and says, you know, I'm so sorry for what I did, does that make the pain less? In my experience, no. It doesn't. The wound's still there. The injury's still there. The damage is still done. It's kind of like a shotgun. You pull that trigger, it blows up and it scatters everywhere, and you can't go and retrieve that stuff. But you forgive anyway. That's why you forgiveness. It's that gift that you give. And I think we'll never really tap into it until we grasp the final. Listen to what he said in in the last part of verse number 11. He said, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ. See, we forgive. Why? Because we've been forgiven. We release others because Christ has released us. That's what he's talking about. Love covers their sin because Christ's love covered our sins. Forgiveness always flows this way. Look, think about a flow chart. It comes from Christ to us to others. That's forgiveness. From Christ to us to us and into others. What we do for others, we, we do for others what God has already done for us. We have been forgiven. We know what it's like to be forgiven. Now we extend that to those who have hurt us. We, again, and I don't think we can understand God's love until we go back to the cross. We can't understand the cross until we see it in the context of his love. The Bible says he went to that cross. Why? Because he loved us. He loved us. I mean, think about it. Man's murder became God's sacrifice his atoning sacrifice. Through the death of an innocent man, the guilty, we get to go free, and the work of salvation is finally accomplished. So if we want to know what love is like that brings forgiveness, then go to Golgotha and see the hill, see the, 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 the cross, because that demonstrates the love. He did it because he loved us. And when you study that and you recognize it, then what does Scripture say? Go and do likewise. What God has done for us, now let's do for others. Freely you have received, now freely give. That's biblical right there. And the fifth one is this. And this is, they're all important, but forgiveness disrupts Satan's schemes. Forgiveness, I I would say it this way, forgiveness derails the enemy's schemes. It derails them. Um, Paul in our text tonight, he ends, verse number 11, he, he, he reminds them uh, of that high price of unforgiveness. And if you've ever met someone who has been offended, uh, and, and I've shared my personal testimony with you for years. My mother, I grew up in a home with, where my mother was. She had an offense. She had something. To, I don't, when I was a young boy, maybe eight, nine years old, something happened in the church that my grandfather founded all I all I can remember as a boy is my mom. There was a switch that changed my mom. She went from my mother to a pretty angry woman. And the church that I had gone to, born in, went through up to about eight years of age, nine years of age. We were we left that church. You drive by there today; it's still church in Mobile. There's Grant, my grandfather's name is on the dedication stone outside the building. We left there when I was about eight, nine years old, because something happened that I never knew about, that called an that caused an offense, and it was an offense that put a seed of bitterness in my mom, and I watched that thing grow and produce in her, and there were people, there were a couple names that you could mention, and immediately you would see the, the, the blood pressure rise. Thankfully, before she passed away, she had an amazing encounter with Christ that just liberated her, and Set her free, and she was, you know, that was one of, among many. But one of the reasons I was kind of upset when she passed because you know, I had my mom back and looking forward to that relationship, and then she died at 52 years of age, um, you know. But I, I know what it does, and and so Paul tells them of this: what unforgiveness? it, it, it is a, a very dangerous thing. It's there's a high price when you allow unforgiveness to go unchecked in your spirit. In fact, here's what he said. Paul said, we forgive, verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us. I love that version. That he might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now, think about that. If you can go back to Sunday, and you remember the picture I had on the, on the screen, checkmate. We're not unaware of his moves. Not to be redundant, the king still has another move. We're not unaware of his moves. We've seen them. And that's what Paul's talking about here. See, the word schemes speaks of a military strategy. And so basically, you know, one of the, one, some of the training that I went through in the military, I went through counterinsurgency school. And uh, so, so this term has a military component to it. it the idea is inserting, uh, you know, say for us, the enemy inserting their troops behind our line while we're still sleeping in our tents. Okay, so that, that's kind of that's the idea. Because we're sleeping, we never saw it coming, and that's exactly what happens for many Christians. This is exactly the scenario. Our unforgiveness has allowed Satan to set up a base camp, okay, in our hearts. You know, you can call it surrendered ground. You can call it jurisdiction, whatever, um, a foothold, if you will, but he set up a base camp in our hearts, and we don't even know what's going on uh, but Satan, that ultimate spiritual terrorist, attacks us when he least, when we, he, when we least expect it, because unaware to us, he set up a base camp and we were not even aware of it. You know, strongholds. You talk about strongholds, strongholds in a person's life are surrendered ground. It's surrendered ground in your spirit. It's areas that you've allowed the enemy to set up a stronghold in your life, and from there, he sends out these these fiery darts, these these. Uh, Commandos, if you will, to disrupt our lives and and ultimately to destroy. That's the that's the, what he pictures here. The schemes. You know, it's like having a low grade fever where you're you, you know you feel rotten all the time, but you're not sick enough to go to the doctor. You're miserable, but because you still can function, you shrug it off and uh, you know that bad attitude and that quick temper and your and your sharp tongue. You just kind of shrug it off. Well, that's just the way it is. See, Satan has won the day, and we don't even know it. Why? Because you set up a base camp of unforgiveness in our heart. So Paul said, hey, don't let him outwit you. Don't let him outwit you. Don't be, we're not unaware of his schemes. We know what he is. He's a liar and the father of all lies. That's why, uh, again, I'm not going to chase that, but we've got to be careful. See, and until we deal with that base camp of bitterness, here's the thing, we'll always be miserable. We'll always be miserable. And, and and you know what? When you're miserable, people don't want to be around you. <laughs> to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus has for us, there has to be, uh, you know, and, and again, maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're online tonight, maybe there's an area of bitterness, anger, unresolved issues that you need to deal with in order to get rid of his base camp in your lives. It's possible. Whenever there's a stronghold, it's possible because there's a stronger man in the house, right? It's possible to go take back You know, I like, for whatever reason, I I like these medieval, the old medieval type movies, you know, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Robin Hood and King Arthur and things like that. And, you know, you see them go in and they capture a village and then, you know, they set up their dominion and then all of a sudden another force comes around and they come in and capture it and set up theirs. Listen, it is possible when the enemy comes in and sets up strongholds in our lives, it's possible to go back and conquer it again through Christ, the stronger man. We can kick out the kingdom of darkness that sets up these base camps, and that's what we have to do. You know, Paul demonstrates when you look at our context tonight in the Scripture, Paul demonstrates great compassion not only for this man, whoever he was, but also for the Corinthian church. Again, this man evidently had sinned against Paul, but Paul sought no revenge. Again, human nature being what it is, we want to lash out. We want to defend ourselves. We want to get back at that person, but Paul doesn't do anything. He doesn't call any names. He doesn't say, well, I'm glad you got rid of that jerk. That's not what he did. Instead, here's what he said. I forgive him as you forgive him in order that Satan may not get a foothold in the church. I've released him. Now, you need to do that. You need to let it go. See, this is true Christian maturity right here. See, Paul's concern was not for his own reputation. He only wanted the church to grow spiritually and become more like Christ. Forgiveness I've got to bring this in for a landing. Forgiveness is God's medicine for a broken heart. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is God's medicine for a broken heart. Forgiveness heals the deepest wounds. It repairs what the devil has destroyed, and it opens the door for greater blessings. Listen, you'll be amazed. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you've walked this path before. But I've seen, I've seen marriages that have literally were, were fist-to-cuff couples when they extended forgiveness to each other with no strings attached, I've watched that thing flower into a blossom and blossom into something beautiful. See, forgiveness is God's medicine for a broken heart. It heals that which is broken. I mean, again, what if God were as unkind as we are? What if he kept records of our sin? Wouldn't that be a bad thing right there? We'd never get within a million miles of heaven. You say, well, I'm gonna trash him like he trashed me. What if God said that about you? He doesn't do that. See, Christianity, Christianity, oh, I can't talk, goes further and deeper because it bases everything on what Christ has done. See, that's the thing right there. What Christ has done. Because he did that, he gives us the example. And and the thing I love about one of the well, many things I love about being a Christian. But see, he doesn't just call me to live in victory. He empowers me to live in victory. He doesn't just take me, you know, when I confess my, uh, you know, confess him as Lord of my life and submit myself to him. He doesn't just shoot me out into the pinball of life and says, Now, (laughs) go at it. Good luck. He doesn't just pat me on the back and say, Well, there you go. Good luck. See you in the end. We have the abiding. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, that relationship there. He enables us to do what we cannot do on our own. There are some people that are quite honestly unlovable. There are some people that will get on your last nerve. Right? Come on now. I mean, I, I under, hey, I'm the same as you. There are some people I see them at Walmart, I want to walk the other way. Come on. You know what you know you feel the same way but I'm called to love them I'm called to serve them I can't do it on my own but if I abide in him and he abides in me that's that's what we're talking about he enables me to do what I cannot do I mean, again, whatever forgiveness cost us, and again, I know sometimes it costs us a great deal because there are people that we are required to forgive for Christ's sake that will never ask us for it. They'll still be mean and rotten to us, but we have to forgive them anyway, right? We have to do that. Whatever forgiveness costs us, it can never cost us what it cost Jesus when He hung on the cross. See, that's why we always have to go back to Jesus. When He hung on that cross after being reviled and and, and beaten, and, and all those things that they did to him. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We always have to go back to that. As I close tonight, may God fill us with grace and truth so that we, every day we can abound in mercy and be quick to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, teach us to forgive as we have been Forgiven, would you stand with me tonight? I love you know we we used to do I'll do it again, but we we did these summer journeys the summer uh, summer's journey with the apostle paul we I've always enjoyed preaching out of paul's writings because he's you know he's one of those guys that just he does not pull any punches he just lays it out there. It's like this is it, and it's black and white, no gray areas, you know. Uh, And this is coming from the worst of sinners, and he gives us instruction. And to the Corinthian church, he says, look, you've disciplined a man who deserved discipline, but now you need to forgive him, and you need to welcome him back in. We always have to talk about this when we talk about forgiveness. There will be people that will never want a relationships. I'm not saying that forgiveness means that you have to be best buds again, because sometimes that's really not possible. Sometimes that person will never ask you forgiveness, but you still have to let them off, and forgive them anyway, and then you leave that to the Lord, right? That's the hard part of it. That's the hard part of it. But by God's grace, we can do it through the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Amen. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer and online tonight? Let me let me just ask this: If you're here tonight, and and and, and and, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna close it like this. If you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, there's I there's there's yeah, as you were talking tonight, there were some people that came to my mind that I need to release. I've held on to, to some things and I and, and I know I shouldn't. And, and and I don't wanna be that guy. I don't wanna be that person. I don't wanna I wanna I don't wanna hold on to that. I don't want it to eat away at my inside. I just wanna let it go. I wanna release it because he's forgiven me so much. And as he's forgiven me, I want to forgive those. I want God to help me. Nobody looking around. If you're online, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you, about it. But nobody look around. Just if that's you, just slip your hand right, right back down. And say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some people I just need to let go. I need to forgive. Amen. 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 Father, tonight I love you so much and I know this is a tough, tough teaching. Because it's so hard when we've been wronged. When we've been hurt. And as we've talked about a nummer, numerous times over the years, really, it's the strangers that bother us so much. It's those that we love, those that we trust. That's where the wounds come from. They're deep, they hurt. Even even the psalmist said, If it was an enemy who did this to me, it would have been one thing, but it was you, my brother, someone I trusted. Lord, it can be tough. Lord, Paul had it. In, When he wrote to the Philippians that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I pray for the hands that went up here tonight. I pray for those that are online tonight. Lord, maybe you brought to their memory the Holy Spirit has quickened them to remember someone that hurt them, let them down, disappointed them, betrayed them, wounded them. Lord, we speak their name and we forgive. I forgive Johnny. I forgive Susie. I forgive Marilyn. I forgive them. I release them from the offense that they've done. And I release them into your hands. And I ask you to come and to heal me and to help me to walk in that forgiveness. Lord, I've been forgiven much, and you've told me to forgive as I have been forgiven. So, Lord, I pray you will help me to walk in forgiveness and to not be offended any longer and to, and, and to, and to live that example. Now, Father, I ask you to go with us tonight and give us a restful, peaceful night Lord, when the enemy comes and tells us how ridiculous it is that we're going to let somebody off the hook after what they did to us, Lord, may we rebuke him in your name and resist him because he must flee from us. May we experience the freedom of forgiveness in our, in, in, in our entire being and may we rest comfortably, soundly tonight because we release that and no longer worry about it. Give us a wonderful night, I pray. Should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday ready to receive your word. Lord, we look forward to a great day. I ask it. your blessings upon every person here. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you. Hey, don't forget, Friday morning, 10 o'clock, if you got time, right out here.